one of the the messages I hope I could get across is that uh, we, sh- as Asian Americans uh, in in our generation, we should cut our parents some slack when they rail against mental health. Right. The goal here is not really to convince them that hey, m- me doing this or that, seeing a therapist, seeing a psychiatrist is a very very good thing. But the goal here almost is to accept that they are trying to love us, but they just don't know how to love us in the the right way. Welcome to Rock the Boat. We're your hosts, Lucia Liu and Lin Gui. Together, we have candid conversations with Asian Americans who are challenging the status quo. We uncover stories about their upbringing, their relationship with family, Asian identity, and their work. In the past, we've interviewed Andrew Yang, Michelle Phan, and the Fung Bros. This season, we're featuring Asian Americans who have overcome challenges against all odds. Join us for our boldest season yet. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Rock the Boat. Today, I speak with an Asian American psychiatrist who earned his medical degree from Harvard Medical School and an MBA at Harvard Business School. Impressive, right? Well, his mother doesn't seem to think so. My mom was very upset when I decided to do psychiatry and thought, you know, told me things. Oh, you threw away a Harvard education. She said something like, you know this stuff is infectious, right? (laughs) You're going to get depressed or you're going to become schizophrenic. That was David Moe. He is a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital. Social stigma, shame, and other cultural factors often prevent Asian Americans and other minorities from seeking help for mental health issues. So if you've been debating whether or not to seek a therapist or you're generally in the process of making a decision that your parents might not approve of, you might want to listen to my conversation with David. Later on in this episode, he gives us great advice on how to deal with altercations in our professional and personal relationships, as well as some tips on how to deal with anxiety. So before we get into this episode, I have something really exciting to say. This episode of Rock the Boat is brought to you by our first ever seasonal sponsor, Numa Foods. Numa Foods makes good for you chewy milk-based candies. The recipe is inspired by Asian nougat candies and it boasts 40% less sugar, 4 grams of protein, and a whole host of vitamins. The milk chews come in three different flavors, original, chocolate, and strawberry. My personal favorite is the original. It resembles white rabbit candy with peanuts and fruit. I I recently spoke with Joyce over the phone. Joyce is the founder of the company, and she told me that the idea for Numa Foods came about when she was craving something sweet but healthier. Because she was sensitive to sugary snacks, her mother started hand-making these milky, chewy, sweet treats, and Numa Foods was born. Joyce and her mother launched the company in 2018 on Kickstarter. They received almost 600 backers, and they were featured in Projects We Love on Kickstarter. You can check out Numa Foods on their website. That's N-U-M-A-F-O-O-D-S dot com. That's numafoods.com. And you can also use the code ROCKTHEBOAT at checkout for 20% off your order. Now, back to the show. Uh, my name is David Mo. I'm a psychiatrist by training. 
Uh, I'm a co-founder and medical director for Valera Health, which is a digital health company. Uh, and uh, on the side, I run a private practice called Measured Wellness. Awesome. We need more Asian American psychiatrists like you. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. David conducts research on how technology can help better predict and prevent suicidal behaviors. His company, Valera Health, is a behavioral healthcare management startup that developed an app to help clinicians remotely monitor patients with anxiety and depression. David has been named the top 10 under 35 for healthcare by LinkedIn, as well as 40 under 40 for healthcare innovation by MedTech Boston. Beyond his accolades, David is a very warm person. I can attest to that. Naturally, as a psychiatrist, he had a way that made me feel really at ease. He's very charismatic, he's a true extrovert, and he's very passionate about mental health, not just for Asian Americans. David is also very good at holding his own opinions. I know this is maybe a little bit um, not the most conventional thing to say. Controversy is yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, so this is David is originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. He was a normal kid who liked to play sports, and he sometimes got into fights. In Cincinnati, David had two defining features. He was Asian, and he was a twin. It was always interesting to have a copy of you walking around with you at all times. David and his brother, Danny, are very similar, despite the fact that they think they're not alike at all. They both score in the top one percentile for extroversion. They're both loud. They both love being around people, and they're both doctors. At what point were you like, this is this is my calling? So at this all started quite early, and it was a meandering path. But there was this kid that I would get into fights with uh, all the time, and he was bigger than me, and I was afraid of him at some level, but I didn't want to back down, and I didn't know how to deal with this. So I began to pay attention to what it was that got us into these altercations in the gym or on the bus, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out he just really wanted people to be nice to him and respect him. And so there's one day when we were about to get into it and I just said something nice to them. I don't remember the details, but it was something along the lines of, hey, would you like a seat? Uh, you can have my seat if you like. And immediately from that point forward, he was very kind. His reaction was surprised. And then he said, oh, uh, <laughs> what kind of sports do you like? <laughs> I realized was that uh, all of us tick by some very, very basic principles. I actually don't think people become that much more complicated when they become older. They get better at hiding it. Different people have different insecurities, but it's it's all there. And it's quite, quite simple. And so that's maybe one of the origins of how I really got interested in uh, uh, just the dynamics between uh, different uh, different people. David went to Harvard majoring in biology. After college, he spent a year in Paris doing neuroscience research, where he quickly discovered that his extroversion wasn't a fit for the lab environment. He decided to go to medical school, where he found his interest working with mental health patients. He loved learning about their stories. There's no other specialty where you could sit with a patient for 60 minutes, uh, for an hour and a half, and just hear their life story. Why are they here? Where, where do they come from? What's their story? You know, what's causing them distress right now? But you don't have time to talk about that. They would say, refer to psychiatry, refer to therapy. And so I just love the fact that uh, these people can feel comfortable sharing these stories and we can materially help them uh, going forward. 
And part of this was looking back as well. Uh, my friends have always told me things, probably a little bit more than than others. And I, I thought that was a natural thing until I realized that, you know, this is a part of a trait thing. I also tried to elicit this from, from my friends as well. So it was really that I meandered into something that I really love more so than anything else. So that's how David found his passion. His mother, on the other hand, wasn't happy with his choice. Oh, is something wrong, David? Is, is this, uh, are you depressed? <laughs> or are you, do you have a problem that I'm not aware of? So she really pulled all stops to try to get me to, to not do psychiatry. Good news is that uh, I've uh, uh, developed a uh, habit of not listening to my mom uh, for, for many decades. So it didn't really rock my motivation one way or the other. So uh, we went through it. But not all of us are able to push past our parents' preconceived notions. For eight years, David has worked with students at Harvard, where he lives in a dorm slash apartment as a resident. He says he has a very common conversation with Asian American students that mirrors the same conversations he's had with his mom. They'll say, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, something's up. I talked to one of my white friends and they said, hey, you should see a therapist. And so I, I thought, oh, what a great idea. I should do that. And I call my mom and I say, hey, mom, guess what? I'm going to go see a therapist. And my mom goes nuts. My mom tells me there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect. It's all in your head. I just forget about it. Stop talking to these white friends about what they do. This is what a white people thing that they invented. You don't need to follow these directions. That chips away at the potential patient's willingness to seek help. And it also brews the sense of doubt that any of this is legitimate. And so it really, really stops treatment in its track. Many Asian Americans suffer from mental illnesses, but they are the least likely to seek help. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the NIH, 14.5% of Asian Americans in the United States are diagnosed with a mental illness in the past year. They are three times less likely to seek mental health services than any other American, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Asian Americans report fewer mental health conditions than non-Hispanic whites, but are more likely to consider and attempt suicide. For such a diverse and complicated demographic, of course, the reasoning behind the stats are also diverse and complicated. There are a lot of cultural barriers, such as stigma, language barriers, and the lack of awareness of resources for mental health services. There's also the pressure to succeed that can take hold within the immigrant household. It, it, it really is a problem, this family dynamic, this lack of uh, uh, mutual support among family members, I think is a driving reason why, why there's a crisis of mental health disorders among Chinese Americans. David says it's okay to seek mental health help without disclosing it to your family especially if you feel like it's going to cause more problems. It is just confusion because they think strength is not seeing a therapist. Strength is not seeking mental health. Um, so the reframe here is that real strength is actually acknowledging that you're suffering and seeking help, right? So if you come up with an analogy, the idea is that let's say you're taking organic chemistry and it's really hard and you're not doing well in the class, Real, strength is not just trying and banging your head against the tree over and over and over again and keep on doing poorly. Strength is seeking a tutor and then getting better grades, right? In the same way, uh, mental wellness is along that dimension as well. So if you, real strength is actually acknowledging, hey, there's something wrong here. I'm not, 
I'm not doing great, and I want to seek help that's evidence-based. So, what should you expect if you're in the process of finding a therapist for the first time? David says, honestly, your first experience with a therapist may not even be that good. I can almost guarantee you, it's not going to be super helpful. Fit is very, very, very hard to know upfront. Frankly, a lot of my Asian American friends quit after three, four weeks, and they say, "Well, that didn't work." And I said, "You didn't even know whether it worked or not." They, they're expecting it to work like an antibiotic, when in reality. It, it takes longer to build this relationship. So I think those are two, two barriers, but I wish that people knew a little bit more about uh, how therapy works. If you're on the edge of thinking, if you're a listener, you're on the edge of thinking, should I see a therapist? Should I not see a therapist? Maybe the very next step is just to talk to a friend who has seen a therapist and just ask them what that experience was like and just have an honest conversation with them. And I think that's a good first step towards thinking about it and would cost you nothing just except for a little curiosity. With these expectations, David emphasizes that seeking help is a strength. It's it's self-improvement. It'll make you better. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you run faster. It'll make you think better. It'll, it's just self-improvement. So if you're thinking along the lines of, I want to get better. I want to be a better son. I want to be a better boyfriend. I want to be a better student. Uh, how do I go out and learn the skills to help me do that? Well, therapy is a great way to do that. So I could, and here's a here's something that I think a lot of people don't know. Um, so wealthy friends of, of mine, all, almost a hundred percent of them receive therapy from a very early age, five or six. And the question, you know, the usual joke is, oh, haha, they're all screwed up because you know, their parents are wealthy or something, something along those lines, right? Well, actually, it's not that. It's that their parents and people like that have realized that therapy is teaching emotional intelligence. Therapy is teaching awareness. And the earlier you start to develop these things, the better off they are. So the majority of people that I know actually do not have diagnoses, but they have benefited from therapy. And I can tell you they're very emotionally well-adjusted relative uh, to their peers. While David thinks it's okay to seek mental help without telling your family, he also thinks you should cut them some slack. Because being educated about mental health is a luxury. It's not a Chinese-specific thing to have stigma against mental health. Most countries uh, have a stigma against mental health. It's an exception for Western cultures, wealthy Western countries to not have that stigma. Because these countries are used to wealth, they are living uh, long lives. So if you go to Nigeria or if you go to other countries, many of these countries have a strong stigma against mental health and they have these uh, stereotypes for what psychiatrists are like, right? The second thing is really understanding where my mom is coming from, right? If you think about her experience, she came over uh, to the States in, in the 70s the psychiatrists or the mental health specialists that her friends or her family members have seen in the past were not very well trained. They were in China and probably those patients were very, very sick. And so what she witnessed or what she considers to be mental health is very, very different than what we consider mental health today in, in Boston, Massachusetts or New York in, in your case. Right. So, um, it actually, in a weird way, it makes rational sense why she's worried that I'm going into that field because that's her schema for how mental health works. So if you think about it, mental health 
is a luxury, right? It means that you're not dying from tuberculosis or worms or something else. You're not starving. Yes, mental health is privilege. Being able to even think about mental health is a privilege. I think the fact that we're doing this podcast is a privilege as well, because, you know, like if you think about our parents' generation, they're like, creating your own content. What is that? Go get a real job, you know? (laughs) In his work today, David sits with patients who are seen societally as bad people. For example, murderers, rapists, abusers. But David says empathy helps him understand them as people. He tells us a story about a patient he had who was convicted of murder and who had also physically abused his wife. His wife was in the hospital, so pretty severely. And so I was primed to not like him already. And when I first met him, he was very mean to me. He wouldn't talk to me. He would say, get out or else I'm going to hurt you. The line every day was, okay, well, I just want to make sure that you're safe. And then he would kick me out and he would kick me out. And eventually we said, okay, we're going to have to discharge this patient. The last day David went to visit his patient, he decided to take a different approach. And I said, sir, I I just hope that everything goes well. We're just trying to help you right now. I apologize that uh, we kept on bothering you. And he, he paused for a second and invited me in the room and started crying. And this is a big guy covered with tattoos, what people would consider a skinhead. And he, uh, he said, I'm sorry I'm being an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole. I've been like this all my life. He told David his life story, how his mother was a prostitute and a drug dealer, how since he was five years old, his mother would kick him out of the house and leave him on the streets, sometimes for days. In the winter times, he would sleep under the porch. So as you begin to learn about all of this trauma and all this history behind his background, what he became is is so much out of his control. It's the cards that he was dealt and they weren't good ones. And so when we look at this guy and if you pull back and we blame him for all the bad things that he quote unquote did, right? Uh, we're discounting a very rich history, a very traumatic history of circumstance that he had no control over. So choosing to feel empathy can often feel like a question of ethics. A lot of us have been taught to understand what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. So it's really easy to villainize the people that we think are bad. It makes our lives a lot easier and it makes things easier to process in our brains. But that's why it's also interesting that David suggests we should empathize with people who have done bad things. It reminds me of the most recent controversial movie, The Joker. The movie is directed by Todd Phillips, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix. Um, And it tells the origin story of the villainous Joker character from the Batman franchise. Shout out to Jimmy Chung, who gave us some pointers. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, you'll know that it definitely questions your ethics. Another movie that I recently saw... Uh, is called Parasite. Um, I watched it with a friend while I was in San Francisco. Uh, Shout out to Vivian. The movie finds a poor family conning their way into a rich family household. The poor family gradually takes over the rich family's lives. 
It's a South Korean dark comedy directed by Bon Joon Ho. The movie premiered in the 2019 Cannes Film Festival, and it won the Palme d'Or, becoming the first Korean movie to receive that award. But what's unique about this movie is that it is really unclear who is good and who is bad. Everything is circumstantial, and you really start to empathize with all the parties who are involved. If you haven't seen the film yet, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, But back to David's point, it's not always so black and white. I don't believe in pure evil uh, after I've become a psychiatrist. Uh, In my work, I've seen rapists right after they committed the deed. I've seen murderers who've been convicted. I've seen people who batter their spouses and the first reaction is always oh i'm not gonna like this guy oh this is a bad this is an evil person society has its own faults in not taking care of the mentally ill and at the same time the person who committed the crime is also at fault and responsible for their actions so at the end of the day it's cheesy but i think david's point is that everybody deserves love And love can be as simple as being more open-minded and widening your perspective. The second thing that I've found very helpful, uh, both personally and professionally, is that uh, when you trust the person that you're interacting with or the people that you're interacting with, you can afford to be a little bit vulnerable. You can say something along along the lines of, hey guys, I'm sorry, I'm really stressed because I, I have this other deadline and that's really been pushing me. I apologize for XYZ. And also, hey guys, I didn't let you guys know, but uh, there's this other thing that's going on with the company and that's why this is complicating this factor. I appreciate you guys dealing with a complicated situation, right? Things along those lines where, um, and so just being very open with what put you in that place and showing that you're aware that that's what put you in that place and that this is a temporary thing. I think that's been very, very helpful for me to to diffuse situations. And this is not to say I don't get into situations. I certainly still do. <laughs> I think it's comforting to hear that even from like, you know, as a psychiatrist who like understands all the underlying mechanisms and the underlying issues and the things to think about that oh, we're all absolutely. still human. I, mean, I, think we, I, I do get into these <laughs> things with, and then we'll, uh, we have our different ways of diffusing, you know, is it grabbing a drink after work? Is it something else? Is watching a game together? Is, is it back to the, what we originally talked about, if we can muster to have empathy for murderers and rapists, right? We should definitely be able to do that for our friends and family, <laughs> right? Is the other way to think about it. If you set that as the goal that, Out of every social interaction you have, you're going to make certain that everyone comes out of it feeling heard and respected. It really helps both personally and professionally. We all have people in our lives who we see as villains. But David says that if we want to improve our interactions and relationships with those around us, we can be more empathetic and with that, be more vulnerable as well. Since I was sitting down with a trained psychiatrist, I couldn't help but ask him for some advice on how to deal with anxiety. His first tip is to treat sleep like the holy grail, something that I should really take into account. If you have poor sleep, there's a lot of research that shows that you are just going to be much more anxious the next day. And this has to do with a lot of neurobiological things. So knowing that, how can you optimize for your sleep? And very simple things uh, you can do uh, uh, to do this. So one, avoid coffee 
I would say after uh, noon or 1 p.m. Uh, if you want to drink Diet Cokes, get that all out of the way in the morning and, and stop. Two, alcohol is terrible for sleep. This is, I think, counterintuitive to a lot of people. Oh, I'll have a beer and I'll help me sleep. And it actually really messes up your sleep. Try to cut that out as much as possible. Three, screen time is really, really bad hours before you, your sleep. So this is something I have trouble with. Um, now, I understand that we are all glued to our screens for many reasons, good and bad. Uh, I get rid of blue light on all my devices. All your phones should have a blue light filter. You could just turn it on and it gets rid of the blue light, which is the, the light that primarily keeps you awake. He also says that meditation works. There are free apps like Headspace, Calm, Insight Timer, Aura. We'll include some of our favorites in the show notes. It's also important to put some time limits on work to take some time for wellness. It's very important to designate when you're taking a break so that you could fully take a break. So if your work kind of bleeds into when you go home, you say, oh, I'm going to just send an email later tonight, even though you're out hanging out with your friends, that that's going to be a lot of mental load that you're going to be carrying that you're not fully aware of. And so when you're resting, okay, I get to relax right now and I'm not going to respond to emails or calls until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., right? So very, very intentional with the scheduling in that manner uh, would be helpful. Yeah. Um, I think personally, like I've experienced times where I finish a big project and I'm like, okay, I need to take a break. But then it's like, you feel antsy right. and you're like, how do I take a break? <laughs> I think just like the, the fact that like learning how to take a break is it's tough. It's like a learned thing, like how to be able to take active mindful breaks. And as always, we asked David what rocking the boat means to him. Not being constrained by our racial designation or the cards that are handed to us. We don't need to define ourselves by any specific metric that others have bucket us into. And I think that's really important for us to be aware of that and transcend that. And part of that is just doing whatever it is that you want to do rather than what other groups, both internally and externally, tell you to do. That's what I think what rocking the boat means. Have a good foundation before you can go out and shake up the world. If you, if you don't know yourself and you're, you're going off and doing things, a lot, a lot of variables out there uh, that could uh, surprise you later on. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of surprises. Thank you so much, David, for offering such powerful insights into mental health and for sharing with us how empathy can help us move forward as a society. It's understandable that seeing a therapist is a form of luxury, but with the rise of mental health apps like Talkspace, meditation apps, and so many more online resources, you can find something that works for you. As David mentions, practicing mental wellness is similar to physical wellness. It's something we all have to practice in order to develop strength in. We've included more information about David and his company, Valera Health, in our show notes. Also, we've included a blog post with a ton of mental health resources on our blog. We will also include that link in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening and see you all next time.
This season of Rock the Boat is brought to you by our seasonal sponsor, Numa Foods. Numa Foods makes good-for-you, chewy, milk-based candies. The recipe is inspired by Asian nougat candies, and it boasts 40% less sugar, 4 grams of protein, and a whole host of vitamins. The milk chews come in three different flavors, original, chocolate, and strawberry. You can check them out at numafoods.com, N-U-M-A-F-O-O-D-S.com, and use code ROCKTHEBOAT for 20% off. Thanks for tuning in to Rock the Boat. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes and help spread the word about the podcast. We really appreciate your help. This episode was written by our assistant producer, Rachel Chu. Rachel is Korean and Chinese, but she is better at speaking Spanish than either of those languages. Kelsa Lim is our assistant producer, Debbie Wong and Kim Hernandez are our social media coordinators, and Rachel Chu is our sound editor. Be sure to follow us on social media at Rock the Boat NYC.